Marketing success comes from identifying the right opportunities. And sponsoring the Up Next in Commerce podcast might just be the best opportunity you'll hear about today. With tens of thousands of listeners, expert creative, production, and strategic promotion teams at the helm, not to mention millions of impressions at the ready, this is a growth opportunity you should not ignore. Email me at stephanie at mission.org to see how your business can benefit from partnering with the Up Next in Commerce team. B2B marketing is actually very similar to B2C, except for the end goal with B2C is like a transaction and B2B generally is to drive a qualified lead. But you're still marketing to an individual. And that's the part that I think people really forget. When I'm marketing to B2B, I'm not marketing to a business. I'm marketing to the decision maker at that business. You still want to get an emotional reaction. People justify emotion with logic. So if you can hit the emotional like reptilian side of the brain and get them to feel like you're going to do something for them, that's the best way to get someone. It doesn't matter how great your product is if no one knows it exists. That's why marketing matters. But not every company has the resources to go all out on a big name CMO or to commit a large yearly budget to specific marketing efforts, especially when the digital world is changing so quickly. So what's an e-commerce brand to do in order to get its message across to the right people? Eric Huberman founded Hawk Media to answer that question. And for more than seven years, he and his team have been making marketing more accessible to businesses of all shapes and sizes and stages. On this episode of Up Next in Commerce, Eric explains how companies should be planning their marketing budgets and what the revenue threshold is that companies need to aim for before they can even think about scaling. Plus, he digs into his entrepreneurial and investor roots to give some advice to those out there who are just getting started, including the hard truth about what it means to be an entrepreneur. And he gives some tips on new and emerging platforms where you can grow your personal and professional brands. And yes, we are talking about Clubhouse. Enjoy this episode. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. Respond quickly to changing customer needs with flexible e-commerce connected to marketing, sales, and service. Deliver intelligent commerce experiences your customers can trust across every channel. Together, we're ready for what's next in commerce. Learn more at salesforce.com slash commerce. Before we get started, I wanted to remind you to subscribe to our weekly e-commerce newsletter at mission.org slash upnext in commerce. It's amazing. It's great. You will learn a lot of good things. Go subscribe. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Up Next in Commerce. This is your host, Stephanie Postles, co-founder at Mission.org. Today on the show, we have Eric Huberman, the founder and CEO at Hawk Media. Eric, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I am excited to have you on. I was just uh, chatting you up a bit before, telling you how we are actually a client of Hawk Media. Full disclosure to anyone listening, it's been amazing. Um, But I would love it if you could kind of go through what is Hawk Media for anyone who doesn't know. Yeah, sure. So. We're an outsourced CMO and marketing team to companies. So what that means is we basically go into companies, identify what the holes are in their marketing organization or strategy, and then we can spin up different experts on an a la carte month-to-month basis, whether it's a Facebook marketer, an email marketer, a fractional CMO, uh, etc. We've got about almost 200 full-time people. We manage marketing for about 500 different companies from small startups to Fortune 100s. And our mission for lack of a better word, is to create accessibility to great marketing. So the idea is we, we really saw that it was really hard to 
for most companies get access to great marketers. And we wanted to make a place where we had amazing marketers, amazing talent, people that were at the top of their game, but it was super easy to work with them. That was a challenge we saw in the market that didn't exist, a solution didn't exist. And that's how we got started. That's awesome. Yeah, it's been really fun. We did the um, CMO thing first. And it was cool because you do get access to people who have been CMOs at big companies before, and they have all this expertise. But we had them for three months, and then they transitioned us onto you know the next stage of like implementation of social and other things. And it was just really fun to be able to have access to talent like that without actually having to hire them as like an FTE or something. Yeah, and that's exactly the model. I, I came from building and selling a couple e-commerce companies, and just wished this existed. And my last e-commerce company, we were heavily funded, so I had a ten-person marketing team of talented people. But they all worked. They could have all worked half time or less and gotten what I needed to done. So I like literally had toyed with the idea of like, could we like hire these guys out to other companies because they're a great team, but we don't need them all full time. But we need all their expertise, and so that's part of where it came from. The idea was born. Very cool. What e-commerce companies did you have before this? Uh, had a company called Fame Wizard First, which was online music business coaching for musicians. Um, then a company called Swag of the Month. It was a t-shirt subscription company long before like Dollar Shave and all that. And then an activewear brand called Ellie that's still around, E-L-L-I-E. That's awesome. So what things did you learn at those companies that maybe you brought either to Hawk Media or to how you're maybe advising brands today? Yeah, really quick bullet points. Uh, Fame Wizard, have a customer that has money. Having independent artists as your customer is really hard to build a business off of. Swag of the month, uh, the need for working capital and financing, which funny enough, we just launched our uh, financing and working capital arm of Hawk Media a couple months ago. And then the third one, Ellie, don't overcomplicate it. If it's working, double down on it. And uh, also that I don't like having other people make decisions for me because that's when I was working with a committee and I was not the main decision maker and they screwed up a lot. (laughs) I like that you have bullet points. You're like, I already got it covered. I already know. Yeah, yeah, I've definitely walked away with very specific, like, don't do that again. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, that's great. So what are you able to share some brands that you work with so we can kind of get the, you know, scope of who yeah. That you guys are learning from and working with right now and teaching? Yeah. I mean, we've worked like it's it's the full scale in terms of like small startups most people haven't heard of. And hopefully we change that. We, you know, Tomorrow Mellon, we started with the when they were a tiny business and skyrocketed them for a couple of years. Greats, the sneaker company, we built for three years with them and they sold to private equity in case the uh, mm-hmm. phone case until they sold to Incipio. It's ironic. We get a lot of companies to sale and then we get fired, but it's part for the course. Um, and then uh, we also work with big brands, Nike, Unilever, uh, Estee Lauder, Red Bull, et cetera, as well. So, and then a lot of small brands that don't necessarily want to be the next big VC-backed company that are three, four, five, $10 million companies while, while we're working with them. And that's what they want to be at. And they slowly grow and run a lifestyle business that pays them a couple million bucks a year and do great. Do you see the big brands having the same type of struggles as the smaller ones? Or is it very separate where you like have to put very different skill sets depending on the company size? No, the expertise are similar and the struggle is similar in the sense of like access to talent is really mm-hmm. one of the biggest struggles. Like true knowledgeable experienced talent is what everyone's struggling with. The way we have to operate is different because when you're dealing with a small business, a lot of times we're dealing with the owner, CEO, they can do whatever they want. There's no one they're reporting to. Even if they have investors, they usually have control. Um, when you're dealing with bigger companies, you're dealing with publicly traded companies, like a lot more processes, a lot more checkboxes, a lot longer time to make decisions. So it's a lot slower. And so that's why like, I look at our client base kind of like a distributed portfolio. Like 
the startups are super fun because you can do whatever you want. You can get going quickly, et cetera. But they're also super volatile on the other end where like they'll fire you overnight for like a, one small thing. Whereas uh-huh. big companies, they for, take forever to sign, take forever to make changes, but they also stick with you forever. So, you know, we've worked yeah. with a lot of these bigger companies for years and years and years because they're used to signing three, four, five year contracts, even if we are month to month. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's good. So what are some challenges you're hearing right now um, around either marketing challenges or business challenges that you guys are tackling that's maybe different than what you were hearing in 2020 or 2019? Yeah, I mean, 2020 was all COVID, but the, the silver lining was the market share of spending online almost doubled. So, or mm-hmm. sorry, over doubled. So the, our clients on average doubled their revenue on what we were operating for them. So that was really good. What we saw, what changed towards the later end of the year and now into this year, so now that that market share hasn't diminished that much. It's still like, instead of 13% of consumer spending being online pre-COVID, it went up to 30. And now I think it's at like 27%. So it's still a massive increase. And so we are seeing that now all the big CPG companies and all these bigger companies that, back to the point, can't make quick decisions unless it's the world's falling apart, cut everything. And they usually do that and then they slowly roll back. They're all really coming back strong into digital because they're seeing so much more market share there. And so what happened was the cost to advertise on Facebook and Google during Q2 and part of Q3 dropped about 30% because there was less competition on it. Q4, October and November were insane because, or October because of the election. And then November holidays hit. December, they carry over a little bit, but they do lessen. I'm anticipating advertising continuing to get more and more costly because now instead of, again, 13% of your mar- these big companies' market being online, it's now 27, they're going to spend more to capture that market, which means you're going to compete with them. So if you're a small or medium business competing, there's a good chance the you know, cost to advertise online increases significantly. And so not necessarily what companies are looking for, but what they should be is ways to increase their ownership of their customers. Because it's going to, if it costs you more to get a customer, the way to combat that is to increase your lifetime value of a customer. It's a math equation. Mm-hmm. It's that simple. So how do you do that? You find ways to increase their lifetime through merchandising, through retention, through customer experience, through... Uh, and when I say merchandising, having other products and services you can sell the same customer. Um, like there's just a lot of things you can do. And that's and then just continuing the communication, like email marketing, SMS, chatbots, ongoing content, just all the ways you can kind of create a walled garden around your existing customer base for them to buy more from you. That's the companies that are going to win, which is why you see Amazon just skyrocketing. They were a book company at one point. Now they sell you anything. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I love the, uh, was it the anything store book talking about how he and his wife are, you know, going and dropping off books to try and ship them out. That was a good book for anyone who hasn't read it yet. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm thinking about myself as like a smaller company right now that we're talking about ad costs are going up. It's going to be harder to compete against bigger brands. Like if you haven't acquired those customers yet and you don't have anyone to talk to, it seems like there's definitely an opportunity to be more strategic of finding new channels, whether it's the TikToks of the world or the Clubhouse or shout out to Hillary who just got me onto Clubhouse. But it feels like there's a bunch of new channels popping up that could help democratize community building a bit more or yet finding you know your audience in different channels that bigger brands maybe won't hop on as quickly. Yeah, it's funny. I just got accused of being addicted to Clubhouse. So my wife has actually had to say like, when we're eating, put that thing away. It's just the past week, but that, that platform yeah. has taken off. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, it, it's always about looking for diversifying. The, the problem is Facebook and Google still perform so much better than these other platforms that they need to catch up. TikTok will absolutely compete as they build out their ad platform. I think it's a no-brainer in the way that the platform's built, but they need yeah. to do a better job of like, they're targeting and everything, which when I say that, no one's failing, it's just early. And uh, Snapchat seems to be getting their legs under them. Um, Twitter, hopefully we'll figure it out. Yep. I agree. Are there any new places that maybe are lesser known where you're like, we're trying out this one little thing in the back alley here that no one else knows about? I mean, you know, Clubhouse and Clubhouse okay. doesn't plan on monetizing through advertising, but it's, yep. it's a community builder. It's crazy. I've been on it one week and I have like 11,000 followers and I'm not an influencer. I don't have like Twitter. I have a bunch of followers, but like that's unusual for me. So, so what are you doing on Clubhouse then? Cause I get on there and I'm like, uh, hi. And, and for anyone who can't see this, my awkward waving in Zoom. Like, I don't know what I'm doing on there. So yeah, I mean, the, I've been fortunate enough to spend the past decade building a pretty solid network. So when I got on there, a bunch of my friends are the people on stage that people want to hear from. So mm-hmm. guys like Damon John and uh, uh, Lewis House and Swan Sit uh, were all pulling me up to talk with them. And then other guys like that, like Grant Cardone, who I never knew before this, now start pulling me around with them. And so it's been a week, but all of a sudden I've connected with a bunch of these heavy hitters that I've never knew before that now we're also jumping on calls offline and connecting. So, you know, for me, I, I spent basically, I was on two flights a week, almost 2019. Mm-hmm. And so I spent most of my time traveling to shows and conferences and meeting people. This is scratching that itch. So for the more people that really want to network and build that network and learn from other people, like this is like the perfect platform for someone like me. It's not for everyone, but it's, you know, then so I've gotten on stage, I've talked about, and there's, I mean, there's millions of people on it. And thankfully I've been very lucky to build what I've built. And a lot of them are looking for advice on how to build their businesses. And so, you know, at this point, this is my fifth business I've built. We've bootstrapped it. I've invested in, I think, 30 other companies. I've had a few exits, had some successes there. And so a lot of times I can give some quick guidance to someone on there. And so I've done a lot of that, which has been fun. So since no one else has talked about this, this is why I'm diving even deeper into this. So someone yeah. that can listen and be like, okay, I'm going to try that out too. Yeah. Like, are you speaking on there when you're saying like you're on stage? Like, are you getting invited from someone? Or are you just creating a room yourself? Like, tell me a bit about like how that's working. Yeah. So, I mean, just to recap the platform, basically it's super simple. There's like a, all you see is a person's headshot, like their little icon and it's all voice. So you just talk. So there's the stage and then there's the audience and whoever's on stage can talk and you can mute your mic and talk and you can have as many people on stage as you want, like a panel, and then anyone can come in and listen. And so as mentioned before we started this, I like to talk. So me being, a, you know, sitting in a room and talking and I've been in rooms with, you know, 20 people on stage, 30 people on stage, where I chime in once every 30 minutes. And a lot of the habits that are starting to come on there are just people rotating on the stage, asking questions of the panelists and just doing Q and A for hours but it's people asking about how do I build my business? I'm struggling with this. What do I do here? And then what I've seen is a lot of altruism, which has been fun. Like I've opened up my direct messages on Instagram through that. So it's like, if anyone needs help, just hit me up. And so making connections to VCs, to funding, to, you know, whoever could be a good distributor, a partner, give them advice, like trying to help people. And what I've seen also is a lot of people that aren't in LA, New York, Austin, or Silicon Valley that don't have access to these networks are all of a sudden like, like I, there was a whole world of amazing entrepreneurs. I didn't even know until I got on this thing. And um, it's a lot of the BIPOC community is getting on there and really helping each other. And I've just, not that I am one of them, I tried to help and very uh, passionate about that side, about, you know, diversity and inclusion. And so we do a lot of charity work around bridging the opportunity gap. And so I've seen this as an amazing tool for that because there's so many people that don't have access 
to like, I've grown up around entrepreneurs. My dad's successful, frankly. My, I grew up around people that started businesses. I had a pretty easy path of like role models. And most of these people don't, or a lot of these people don't, and that are coming from inner cities, et cetera, that are now on this. And I get pinged maybe a hundred times a day, actually on that thing, asking to be their mentor. And I'm like, you don't have to like make anything official here. What can I help with? Let me answer your questions, yeah. like that kind of stuff. And so that's been super rewarding, but I do see this as like, we're all stuck at home right now. Where you are means nothing. So this is a way for everyone to be connecting. Like, But without having to be on video, it also makes a lot more people comfortable having a conversation. And with voice, people are not as rude, demeaning. Like social media has a problem on the text side. We all know it. Where it's like, you have when you can just text whatever you want. We deal with it all the time with clients. If we have an angry client and we're on email, we'll get hate mail. Then we go, I pick up the phone and call them and they're like, hey, how are you? And it's like, <laughs> what? what? <laughs> so yeah, same yeah. thing. It's weird. I, I really think there's something there. The, the curiosity I have is as a social media platform, and I'm sorry, this is all going to Clubhouse, but you asked as a social media platform, you know, on Facebook, you might spend, you know, three minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes at a time scrolling through Facebook. Clubhouse, I'm watching people spend 12 straight hours in a day. Like I've never seen a social yeah. platform that people just zoom in and go. And so I'm really curious what that turns into. And I think they'll end up monetizing by adding tips to panels so you can actually tip the panelists or paid speakers. I think that's what we're going to see because they said they don't, they want to make money for their content creators and they don't plan on adding ads. So I think that's going to be interesting. But for brands, to answer your question, uh, I think for personal brands, it's massive building, you know, your CEO or whoever you are building your brand on there and starting to talk. And I mean, we had a channel the other day where it was a bunch of beauty entrepreneurs from the South, a bunch of women that had built beauty brands, bringing up young beauty brands to talk to them. And there were women coming on stage to talk about their brand and then going, I've made $300 in the past two months on my website. And the audience just bought $7,000 worth of items. Like wow. that's happening. And it's, it's like an eight month old platform, but really got popularity two weeks ago. So yep. it's interesting yeah. to see where that can go. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. And especially around the theme too of, I mean, bigger brands too leaning into becoming their own kind of media companies and getting on there and leading not just from like their brand perspective, but being thought leaders and their brand is kind of behind the scenes. Like if you offer value, someone won't mind if it's coming from someone at a large company, if it's like, well, someone's so smart. So sure, they work at, you know, whatever big company that is, but they're the one on there offering the best tips. Yep. Exactly. And that's the other thing is like, there's no BSing it. Like when you talk to us, like people are going to know whether you know what you're talking about or not. And I've, I've seen it. I've seen people that you like the rest of the team, people on the stage are like, wait, what? Like yeah. they, people call each other out. Cause I think there's also people feel responsible, including myself. The audience is taking this advice. So like mm-hmm. I was on a, I jumped into a panel yesterday that was talking about Bitcoin. And some guy said, there's absolutely no risk in investing in Bitcoin and you should put as much money as you can. And oh I was my like, gosh. <laughs> and, um, yeah. So there's that too. And then I do think like there's a whole community and uh, personal aspect to it where like 21 Savage is one of the biggest followed people on it. And he does DJ sets every month, every night with like Sir mm-hmm. Mix a lot and like all sorts of other people. Like there's a whole, like, it's not just business. There's a lot of other mm-hmm. fun conversations and, Overheard LA did a whole thing where they were saying, like, what's the weirdest story you've had in COVID around dating? And like those comedy shows, there's all sorts of fun stuff. Yep. Yeah, that's awesome. So when you're on there giving tips to businesses and uh, people who are trying to learn, what are the top questions that you're asked or what things do you talk about that resonate most with business owners? So everybody wants funding. These are all early, okay. early businesses. Everybody goes, yeah. how do I get funding? How do I get a grant or a loan or funding? And I... You know, if you need money to get started, 
that's a bad sign. Like, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong. There's high tech companies and certain companies that like you can't get around it. But like most of the initial funding for businesses comes from fam- friends and family if you need it. And if you need a heavy amount of funding and it's not something high tech, you have to be real if you're the right person to start that business. That's one. Um, there's a lot of people that pitch for that while starting with the hardship story, something that's mm-hmm. like, this is what I'm struggling with. And I've noticed that it doesn't get the reaction you'd hope for. Like compassion is a big thing. And I think for help, like people do. But if you lead with that to try to get someone to partner you in business, it shows the wrong focus. It's not to diminish what people are going through. A lot of people have had a really hard time recently and in general. But I do notice that when you lead with that versus excitement and optimism, you're going to attract a lot more people with optimism. That's a good one. Yeah, I have definitely seen a lot of people who come with the story where you're like, I should feel bad. But also as a business person who maybe is either going to invest or partner with you, like we'd be in this together and I need to know that you can, you know, you have another reason to get, you know, to want to push this forward. And it's not just this. So that's a good point. All right. Give me more. uh, The COVID excuse. I'm not very nice about this one, but I have too many friends that have done well in spite of COVID and not because they got lucky. But the Mm -hmm. idea of like, someone came on the other night, I was like, you know, I've launched my e-commerce company last a year ago, but because of COVID, we've had a really hard time. And it was like, take a beat. Because of COVID, your e-commerce company has had a tough time. We we just went over the stats of e-commerce. I was like, explain that. And it wasn't e-commerce. It was the person couldn't get out of their own way. And so... That's generally the advice I end up giving to you. Because again, there's a lot of people trying to get started is just go. Like my biggest learning in entrepreneurship in general is no one's that smart. It's just people that went for it and got lucky. Like I really believe that, including myself. I don't think that I'm that impressive. I think I went for it and I I timed it right, meaning I got lucky. Meaning like because of the way the world worked, I knew about e-commerce right when the world wanted to build all build e-commerce. And I was one of the only free agents in LA with a reputation of being successful at. So... That's a big one. And so like with COVID, I have a friend that owned 20 gyms across Canada that sh- got shut down overnight, done. And he's been doing it for 20 mm-hmm. years. And he, three days later, decided to launch a virtual training platform and has done millions in revenue in 2020 as a gym owner and was able to piv- keep his entire staff, pivot, not lose money, and now have a whole new revenue stream that when things do reopen, he's got both. So like, yep. I have a, a friend that owns a chain of restaurants in LA. He's not thriving, but his businesses are all still open. He's making money. He's made a living. There's ways to operate that you can actually get through this. And then there's the people. And I watched like some of our clients, e-commerce brands that were like, cut everything. And we're like, what do you mean cut everything? Like the numbers are good. I get that the news is scary, but like you're doing well, do not cut. And the companies that cut ended up, I don't know if any of them recovered, the companies that I know that cut with us. And then we had uh, a whole bunch of other companies that stuck with us. Our average client in Q2 doubled their revenue. So interesting when, yeah, if you think about what happened in Q2 of 2020. So yeah, getting back to it, the biggest one is like, don't give yourself excuses, go for it. And that that's a lot of what we're talking about. And then we get into sometimes deeper marketing conversations. Like, what do I do to get started in marketing? If I don't have a budget yet, where should I spend my money? Should I run Facebook ads right away? Those kind of questions. It reminds me too of doing things in haste. There was a good quote and it was around investing, but it was like the person who's kind of scrambling to either sell when you know the news sounds bad or something like they're never the ones who do well or find a good ROI. Like I'd rather be the person kind of sitting and waiting most times and, you know, play the long game instead of reacting to the news or, you know, quickly stopping or starting something really quickly. There's probably never that necessary to jump on something. Correct. And, and you have to give yourself that that luxury, so to speak. So like what I learned myself out of this was I'm keeping more money in the bank going forward so that I can take a beat. Even if I see my business losing money, I can go deep breath, 
what's the right long-term plan here, not just react because I got to stay in business tomorrow. And that's what a lot of businesses got stuck is we're in such a great economy. People are just spending all their money on growth and all of a sudden it cut off. And so you have no money in the bank. That can be a bad situation. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So if someone is, you're talking about many of them don't have budgets and they're they're trying to start marketing or, you know, launch an e-commerce shop or something. How would you go about that? Because I used to read quite a few books that talked about scrappy ways to do it, whether it was just like putting up a landing page and then, you know, maybe linking to products that, you know, kind of reselling them. And like, there's so many things that we've kind of been taught when it comes to being scrappy and starting something without having to invest money. But how would you do it now in 2021? Yeah. So there's the whole, like, everybody loves to throw around the MVP model, minimum viable product. And the problem, or minimal viable product, and the problem with it is the people go to minimal and not viable, meaning you make a product that kind of gets out there, but it's not really viable. It's not really what something's going to buy from. It's a landing page that sends you to a site that says you can check out, but you can't or whatever it is. Like people think that just getting up and running is good. You got to commit. You do like, but like if, you know, you're just getting started, like keep the day job, make money along the way. You know, if you can't work a day job and then get started on at nights and weekends, you're not going to be a good entrepreneur because welcome to entrepreneurial life. So I, mm-hmm. that's actually a good way to get used to it, in my opinion. And also, it never happens as fast as you want it to or almost never. So it buys you time. You're not under some ultimatum. that like, if this doesn't work in six months, I can go back to work. It's like, well, just give yourself as much time as you need. Switch over when it can support your lifestyle. So to get started, I mean, there's a few ways. Sometimes you like if you're trying to launch a new product, you might need to put in 10, 20, 30, 50 grand to get started. That's actually a thing. Um, and that's where the friends and family come in. If it's, you know, you're launching a new shoe line or something, but start small, sell out. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Meaning sell out of your product, not sell out as a jab or anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's okay to have a small run in the beginning. And then in terms of marketing, I, I'm about like, and I've really honed in on this focus actually through a lot of answering these kind of questions on Clubhouse is get to where we invest our investment threshold of where we like to look at companies is 20 grand a month in revenue. Because us, it's like, that's when you've been able to get over the scrappy period and you started to build a sustainable business. It's still small, but there's something there that's traction to us. And to me, it's like, get to that point without spending too much money. Like partnerships, you know, get someone that has your audience that you're trying to reach and find a way to make them talk about you to their audience. That could be press, that could be influencers, that could be other brands that collaborate with you. That could be um, many different ways, but like, Start there, start building that organic reach. Go sell. If you're selling shoes, sell them out, like not in COVID, but in general, sell them out of your trunk. Like don't make it so it just has to be through your website either. Like, you know, my view is like focus on one thing and don't narrow yourself in other ways. So the idea of being direct to consumer and not opening up every other distribution channel for your brand is crazy to me. Go omni-channel, mm-hmm. open up yeah. retail, open up everything else and build a model that makes sense for all of those and then see where the least path of resistance is. Maybe Nordstrom's decides you got the coolest sneaker ever and you get a $5 million order and you are able to like ask the right people so you can protect yourself because a lot of those big box will return the entire order when they don't put it on the shelf. So oh wow, ways of not that, that's, that's why retail's hard. Walmart will literally charge you for the products that don't sell and send it back to you. So like, you got to be careful on those agreements and what you take on. But listen, it, it can also be make you set you up for the rest of your life getting a deal like that. So open it up to do all those things and be scrappy about it. Instead of like throwing other people's money at trying to grow it and hoping it works, find ways to make money right away. And I, as someone that has bootstrapped my business and owns the whole or owns it with my partner, but the two of us, it's awesome. We we tell our team all the time, like anything you want to do, we can do it. Just ask. Like, no, we're not reporting to anyone. We don't have people on our board or investors that we have to report to 
that are going, I don't agree. I don't, I'm worried about the risk of my money. And not all investors do that, but some do. So yeah, if you can keep ownership, it's a lot of fun. It, it's, the, it's stressful at times too, because there's no one else backing you up. It all falls mm-hmm. on you. But once you get through those hardships and get used to that challenge, because it never ends, it actually becomes pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely my viewpoint on investors too. Like, unless they're very strategic, they're going to open up a network for you. They're going to give you something that you can't get otherwise. Like if you're just going after money, you probably need to look elsewhere. I mean, my friends and family, not so much. I would have never been able to raise any money from them probably, but you know, thinking about it more strategically instead of just like, here's some dollars, because we had a guest on the show who I forget who they were. Maybe Hillary can remind me in our prep doc here, but they were talking about how they built their company based off a kind of a Kickstarter, Indiegogo type of thing, because they had this whole quote that was like, don't rely on friends and family, because if that's, you know, how you think you're going to fund your product, like you're already going to fail account for them to maybe only be like 3% of what you need or something like the only 3% of your product will be bought from them. And the rest you need to go out and form those email newsletters, like find your audience elsewhere or else, you know, there's no point in you trying if that's like your only goal. Yeah. And I would say that you can also with the, with smart money, which I agree with, if you can, if you're going to take money, take smart money that knows what they're doing and can help you. But a lot of times you can get that help without even taking their money. That's the other yeah. part. Too. Like I've heard even the, there's an anecdote about like call someone for advice and they'll give you money, call someone for money and they'll give you advice. So if you want connections, most people that have been successful, most, not all, but most are really willing to pay it forward. I've noticed like they want to mm-hmm. help. They can't help everyone, but when you catch them at the right time and then for anybody, it's a game of numbers. If you're looking for help, reach out to as many people as possible. Someone's going to say yes at some point. Yep. Yep. I agree. So the one area that we sometimes kind of neglect on this show is B2B commerce, because of course, everyone's focused on B2C. But I saw that you put out a list of tips for B2B e-commerce companies. And I was hoping you could kind of walk through, you know, what are you guys seeing for B2B companies? Do you work with B2B companies? And how are you advising and marketing for them right now? Yeah. I mean, in the nutshell, like B2B marketing is actually very similar to B2C, except for the end goal with B2C is like a transaction and B2B generally is to drive a qualified lead, but you're still marketing to an individual. And that's the part that I think people really forget when I'm marketing to B2B, I'm not marketing to a business. I'm marketing to the decision maker at that business. So it's still a person. And so instead of marketing to someone that you know likes dogs and biking, I'm marketing to someone that has this title at this type of company as a marketing manager at a fortune 500, whatever it is. And so it's just a different targeting methodology, but you're still... And then the way you position the company is still value proposition. You still want to get an emotional reaction. And that doesn't mean like go crazy with it. So don't take that too verbatim, but people justify emotion with logic. So if you can hit the emotional like reptilian side of the brain and get in any type of marketing and get them to feel like you're going to do something for them, that's the best way to get someone. So, you know, with like our commercial for Hawk Media, Hawk Media is all B2B, obviously. And I don't know if you, we don't use it that much now, but we're about to ramp it back up. Or have you seen our commercial with the lemonade stand? No. So super fun. We filmed this like less than a year into business, I think. I basically literally sat with my business partner. I was like, what? Do, and again, we're marketing to business owners. That was our main target. And we were like, what do people like? I'm like, they're like puppies and kids. And it was just when uh, GoDaddy got banned from the Super Bowl for putting a puppy mill as a joke commercial. And I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, let's not do that. So let's go with kids. Yep. And so we basically created the commercial about a bunch of kids in a really corporate office. But when I say kids, like eight, nine-year-olds running around, skateboarding, throwing paper airplanes, freaking out. And the owner, this little blonde girl going like, 
uh, you know, I can't take this. Like who's handling our Facebook ads? Who's doing this? And like just freaking out. And then we come in and we got you. And like, I was in the commercial too. And we explained, and then it shows them at the end, a bunch of kids rain, making it rain with cash and dancing and having fun. And oh, that's cute. it was fun and it got people's attention, but it was the whole point was we got you. Like, I know you're freaking out, but we're not. And we got you. And that's how it came off. And that emotional connection, even though we're talking about B2B, which would you think is super logical. How much do you cost? How much money are you going to make me? Blah, blah, blah. No, why, why people hire us? The logic reason is bandwidth or expertise. The emotional reason is please someone just handle this. Like, yeah. I don't know what's going on here. I just want to grow and I need someone to take it off my plate. So, and I don't know, or I don't know what I'm doing. Like it's, we need someone to just come in calmly and help us. And that's yeah. understanding that in B2B is super important because then everything you do with positioning yourself is like, we're here, we got you, we know what we're doing and you can sleep easy at night is our positioning. Now you mm-hmm. change that. And so, and then how you execute on that same channels, Facebook, search, email marketing, you know, press, all the things we use for our clients, creating your own content is the stuff we use for ourselves. It's just, I'd say any marketing is aspirational, not meaning like I aspire to be like something great, but more like I'm in, I'm, I'm currently at this state and I want to be here. It, it's as simple as my socks have, have hole in, holes in them. I want comfortable socks and you go buy socks. This aspiration doesn't have to be something groundbreaking. And so understanding that you need to position yourself as that aspiration, the solution to the, getting the person from where they are to where they want to be, no matter what you're selling, B2C, B2B is the most important part. That's really good. Yeah. I mean, I think about the ads to B2B and they're so lame. A lot of times it's like they make things so corporate and it's like, I'm pretty sure any corporate citizen will not want to watch another corporate style ad. Like they want something new and different. And I love just like connect with the person, even if it's a title that you're connecting with, like there's someone behind that title. And if you wouldn't like it, they probably won't either. (laughs) That's exactly. And that's been the awesome thing about Hawk and it's, it's marketing specifically is I'm the customer. Mm-hmm. Um, literally who would be buying from us because that's why I created it. And so I get to make things that I would want to see, which you just nailed it. I hate the boring, stodgy, you know, men and women in suits. And we've been trusted for 25 years. Like, who cares? That's not why I'm hiring you. Like, yeah. yeah, it's like the stock photography where you go on there. And it's like all these like people in offices and business suits. I'm like, who's buying this stock photography? This is horrible. My favorite, I used it again recently. So it reminded me, remember that photo shoot they did with a baboon doing stock photos in an office? I, I just found <laughs> I did. My, yep. my brother-in-law asked me what I was up to this week and I sent him the baboon banging on the keyboard. I'm like, just, just working. It was like, that, that was a great shoot. That was so perfect. And yet so many people did not get the point of that, which is, this is ridiculous. Like, why are we taking yeah. office stock photos? Yeah, yeah, that's... That's funny. But I mean, hey, a lot of people use them for a while and I guess it worked for a, probably a solid week and then everyone realized it's not working anymore. Yeah. Well, no, and a, a lot of people still use the office photos. And listen, some that's not going to be the only driver to your business. You don't have to be perfect in marketing. If you do a really good, if you have a good product or service, marketing is kind of like, it helps, but it's not critical. And so you know, a lot of people get away with really bad marketing and still have a really good business. Yeah, yeah. The one theme that I've heard from quite a few people on the show is that the organic videos and natural things are all performing way better than stock photography or anything that seems like, you know, it was built out of a box. Are you seeing that as well? It depends. Uh, It depends on what type of product it is. If it's a product that needs a lot of trust, you need production value, meaning like a supplement or something that people are looking to solve a problem. They don't Mm -hmm. want to see that you threw something together. If it's like fashion or lifestyle products that people aren't really worried, you can get away with that a lot more. Yeah. 
So one other thing, I don't know, how much do you guys experiment with TV? Because I was listening to a good episode. I forget what podcast it was, but I think it was Gary Vaynerchuk where he was essentially saying all TV is dead except for Super Super Bowl ads. That's the only ads that actually work. Every other TV commercials, like they don't work anymore. They're dead. Gary's a a friend and I think he has nailed what he's doing. He's a super bright guy, but I think a lot of times he speaks in hyperbola because what I've noticed is um, nobody ever gets held to these... uh, big grandiose claims. Like I, I called a friend out for claiming that, you know, Bitcoin will be at 50 grand by Sunday. And then Sunday came around and I screenshot it and I sent it back to him. I'm like, what the hell, man? He's like, whatever, it'll happen in the next month. It's like people make, and it, it's a habit that a lot of people got into of like making these giant claims. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sure that's what, because I'll be real, TV does work. Like you got to buy it right. And yeah, we do do some TV, some radio. It's not a big part of our business. I'm not trying to hype it up. But mm-hmm. uh, once you have an amazing funnel and like, you really know who your customer is and you're really good at nurturing leads, meaning like not just like letting them come to your site and hopefully they buy, but capturing email, capturing their phone number to text them and follow up and really nurturing that. And you, again, you know your audience and you know your messaging. So you know how to track your audience and get them to buy. Mm-hmm. TV is still one of the cheapest places to get a 30 second impression from a massive audience. So it's still both TV and radio are still very viable options as you scale, but you can do a lot in digital before you have to go there. Yeah, 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 I agree. We uh, we had one of our podcasts aired on radio and they took it and turned it into a one hour special for Veterans Day. It's called The Story. And some people were like, why? Radio's dead. Why would you go on radio? I'm like, do you know how many people still listen to radio? Actually, it's still very like legit if you can get on radio. I mean, it's huge. It's captive. It's, you're sit- most people are sitting in their car. They're not going anywhere. They're not changing the station either because Frankly, there's not that many options. So yeah. It, yeah, it's you can get a lot of people that are doing nothing. The hard part is to get them to remember things, but it works. Yeah. We've had a lot of luck, especially like event sales, like when we're doing big events like TED and stuff like that and trying to sell tickets. Mm-hmm. Um, DutyCon was a good one. Radio worked really well. Yeah, figuring out that, yeah, like you said, getting that CTA right, where it's not something that's going to be distracting where they crash, but also like, but seriously, go and buy what I just talked about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, with a couple minutes left, let's move over to the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. This is where I'm going to ask you a question and you have a minute or less to answer. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. What's up next on your podcast list? Who is or what is? Either. Who or what? What are you listening to? Oh, I, well, we have our own. So who would be Rachel Zoe? Uh, oh, you have her coming up? Yeah. We work, we've worked with her for years. She's awesome. And... uh yeah, so that's the next one. And then after that is Rob Deerdeck, I think. Um, listening wow. to, I want to get more into how I built this. He, he's awesome. And I just think that that's always an interesting story. And my podcast is more about their life story. His is really about how they built their company. So um, I like the life story too, which is my podcast was literally like, I wish someone did this. So I'm just going to do it and hit up cool people mm-hmm. and find out how they got where they are. I'm gonna, so my podcast is Hawk Talk. Awesome. Yeah, I will be checking that out. What's up next on your reading list? Uh, whatever my business partner assigns me, I am not a voracious reader and my partner is. And so he's he decided, assigns it to you. <laughs> so he's decided as of last month that he's going to give the executive team, including me a book a month that he wants us to read and be on the same page on. And I'm all about it because I don't have any motivation of my own to really do it. And I, I like, I'll take up, I'll pick up a book now and then probably a couple a year. And most yeah. of the time I end up listening to it on audible. Like I'll buy the book. I buy all my friends' books and my wife rolls her eyes every time. I'm like I got to support, but I don't read any of them. Sorry guys. And then I'm coming out, we're coming out with our own book towards the end of the year called The Hawk Method. And it's how we grow companies, basically. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that. What one thing do you not understand today that you wish you did? Yeah, I wish I understood the public markets more. 
I've put money in it now and started to try to learn it, but like I have surface level things I understand, but when we started getting into derivatives and the complicated side of finance, I'm still not completely clear. I've also shot away in some ways because I think when you overcomplicate it, it's too complicated for everyone. And that's when we get into the housing crisis and things like that. But uh, I also would love to understand it so that I can call bullshit on it sometimes because I've realized in my entire career, no one's that smart. If it's complicated, it's probably a problem. That's a good one. What favorite piece of tech are you enjoying right now? It can be new or something you've used for a long time. It can be an app or anything. Um, yeah, I, I will say the one that surprised me the most is the Oculus. Because I've been a naysayer of VR. I'm like, VR is too isolating. It's stupid, blah, blah, blah. But once I got one, and I, I ended up helping uh, an organization called YPO do an event with Oculus and got one. And I'm like, oh, wow, no, this is interesting. <laughs> like, there's actually something to VR and the experience you can have. You can't really use it. Like, most people can only use it for 45 minutes at a time. I think it's really cool. I think there's something that, that there's something coming down the pike with that uh, that yeah. I think will be really cool. Yep. Yeah. We wrote a 2021 trends report and that was something I'm kind of keeping an eye on is how to use that when it comes to not only following influencers, but shopping from feeds and watching, you know, live events, but also being able to get it while watching it and stuff. Like, I think there's a little work to be done. Like you said, I know a lot of people, especially myself, still get kind of like dizzy and yeah, not feeling very good after for me only like 10 minutes, but it seems like once that gets a bit better, there's a lot of opportunity, especially for e-commerce companies, if they can figure out how to make it an event and something fun that people want to attend. Plus also like, it's like the um, the Container Store and Netflix series. Like you want to buy what the Netflix series had, even though they don't really slap you over the head with Container Store stuff, right. but you're like, but I need that specific box to put my scarves in. <laughs> exactly. Um, no, and I, yeah, I think that's exactly it is. The business model needs to be fixed around the content for VR because they, mm-hmm. it's just not good enough yet to track enough content and things to do. But once that turns into a much more prolific platform, I think that you'll see it uh, sort of hockey stick quick. Yep. All right. Last one. What is the nicest thing someone has ever done for you? Oh, I'll have to think of a nice thing because I feel like if I say the nicest, it's going to be. Or you can say the meanest too. You're like, oh, this person was really mean to me. <laughs> a business partner that really screwed me up, but um, don't need to give it any credence. <laughs> Not my current right, nicest. Nicest yeah. then. <laughs> I'm trying to think of nicest. I mean, th- listen, I, the, the fortunate thing is many, many people have done a lot of nice things for me. A lot of people have taken bets on me before I had any reason to deserve them. My parents were always great to me. My wife's great to me. Like I, I'm surrounded by people that do nice things t- for me. So I will say a nice thing that stands out that um, I never give enough credence to is when I graduated college, I went into real estate a week before the whole banking industry collapsed. I made $350 that year, six months in, a friend of mine's dad called me. Who had, I, was, I, I was a guitarist growing up and my drummer and my band's dad called me and said, hey, I've been watching you. You seem to be like a young aspiring entrepreneur. I like your grind and your spirit here. I want to help people like my son who is still pursuing music figure out how to do the business side of things so they can actually at least make a living being a musician. I think there's a thing we could do here. I spent a couple months putting a business plan together, showed it to him. He not quite disappeared, but kind of went MIA for like three months, called me July of 2009 and said, Hey, I'm putting in a quarter million dollars. I think I can raise this another 750. You're going to run it. Let's go. And that became my first online company. So that guy put in his own quarter million dollars, got his friends to put in 750,000, a million dollars invested in an online music company in 2009 and then put me in charge of it, gave me 5% of the company um, and paid me minimum wage, which I was grinding. It was a bet. And like, don't be wrong, he could have, it could have, it could have really worked out for him. But I also think of that as like, 
that guy set me up as an entrepreneur in a lot of ways too. Like, I don't know what I would have been doing without that opportunity. I'd probably still have ground, you know, grinded through real estate unless something else popped up or something. And that put me into digital. That did a lot of things for me and still in touch with them. But that was, that was a big one. That's a good story. I'm glad I asked. Yeah, that, that's really good. Cool. Well, Eric, this has been a very fun interview. We'll have to bring you back for another round in the future to hear how 2021 is going. Um, where can people find out more about you and Hawk Media? Definitely Clubhouse, but no, I'm at or slash. <laughs> I'll see you there. Yeah, at or slash Eric Huberman on any social platforms, fine. And then Hawk Media, but yeah, you ever want to reach out, it's just hawkmedia.com. And we do free consultations, always happy to help. Cool. All right. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, you'll probably also love our e-commerce newsletter. To get it delivered straight to your inbox every week, sign up at mission.org slash upnextincommerce. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud and created by the team at mission.org. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.